Well, welcome to First Baptist Church once again. Like I said, my name is Joe Andrews. I realized that some of you may not have heard what the pastor said from stage uh, last week and why I've given him this break. Uh, I've made it, I've made it my personal goal, all right, in life to get that into all of your hands at some point. So if you haven't seen what happened at the 8.30 service, come to me after service and I will make sure that I get you a copy or I email it to you and all of your friend list uh, just so that you, uh, so we could just give the pastor a hard time, honestly. Um, I, do, I do love uh, coming up here and delivering the message. I, I feel like this is the way that I worship God the best is through preaching and so, uh, it always fills my heart with joy uh, to do this. And I, my prayer has been this week, the same as the pastors, that I will honor Christ, that I will honor God up here, and that I will worship him through preaching, and that he will speak to me through, uh, he will speak to you through me. That's what I hope happens today. The title of my message today is called, The Call You Need to Make. The call you need to make, and we'll be in Romans 10, we'll be in verses 12 through 15. You can turn there now, we'll, be, we'll get there in a little bit. Uh, but I need to give you some background before we get in to Romans 10. It's a, it's, a, it's a big chapter, and it's theologically rich, but you guys need some background before we get in uh, to all of that. So here, here's the background that you need. God had chosen a people all right, a long time ago on earth to be his representatives. He had chosen the people of Israel to reach the nations all around them, to reach the world. And the Israelites, they really enjoyed that privilege. In fact, they enjoyed it so much that they started to forget about the last half of that sentence that I just said that they were the chosen people of God to reach the nations. They forgot about that last part over time. And they begin to only focus on the fact that we are, as the Israelites, children of God. And that's all they thought. They just cut it off there, and they forgot about the part that they were supposed to reach the nations. And this began this self-centeredness in the Israelites, this idea that we we are the chosen people of God and everyone else is not. What they should have said is we have been chosen by God and we need to go tell everyone else about him. But they failed to do that. They began, they began to be self-centered, even though there's wonderful verses in scripture and there's so many. I'm not going to read a lot of them. I'm going to read this one though. This is Zechariah. This is chapter 2, verse 11. This is what God says. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and they shall be my people. Did you hear that? Many nations, not just one nation shall be my people. Many nations shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. They forgot about Jesus' covenant with Abraham that through Abraham's offspring in Genesis 22, 18, God would bless all the nations of the world. They forgot about that. There's so many verses that talk about God wanting to reach the nations and choosing Israel to use to do that. And Israel just fell by the wayside and they just start, started focusing on the fact that, you know what? We are just God's people. We're better than everybody else because God chose us. 
And that self-centeredness then led them to abandon not only God's mission, but in time, it, le- it, it led them to abandon God himself. And as you look at Israel's history, you see this. Over and over, generation after generation, the people, the Israelites, the Jews, they would follow God And then they would stop following him and they would abandon him. And then they would come back and then they would leave again. And then they would come back to the Lord and they say, rescue us. And the Lord would rescue them. And for a time they served the Lord again, but then they would leave again. And it was part of just their history was that leaving the Lord and returning. So God decides, okay, if you just want to be my people and you won't, accomplish what I have you to do in this world, then there's going to be some pretty big consequences. And when you abandon me, there's also some big consequences. And so God decided to judge the nation of Israel. And he did it in two ways. The first time was by the Assyrians in 733 BC. When the Assyrians came in, they attacked the northern kingdom of Israel. And they took the people from there away from there. And do you know where they took them? To their nation. It's like God is saying, if you're going to stay in your nation and not go, how about I just help you go out to the nations? And that's exactly what he did. And then again, in 597 BC, the Babylonians come this time. They sack Jerusalem. They take captive Judah, which was the southern kingdom And all of these Jews are deported to Babylon, modern-day Iraq, about 60 miles away from the capital Baghdad, which we know as Baghdad. That's where Babylon was. That's a long trek back in those days. And again, we see God saying, if you're not going to go to the nations like I've chosen you to do, I'm going to help you get there. And God did some mighty things when the Israelites were outside of their nation. You know what God did? He made his name known in the nations when his people were out of their own nation. They were in Babylon for 70 years. It's called the Babylonian captivity. And it's towards the end of those 70 years that God gives a word to Isaiah the prophet And this is what Isaiah says, as that captivity is coming to an end, how lovely. Now, if you don't think I'm cultured, this is pretty poetic. You might not think, I don't know if he reads much poetry, that guy. Okay, well, this is poetry, and I'm reading it to you, okay? Not only do I read it to myself, but I am so cultured that I will read poetry to you. But listen to what God says through Isaiah, how lovely on the mountains, are the feet of him who brings good news. What's this good news? The good news that this person is bringing is that the captivity is over. The captivity of 70 years is coming to an end. They have beautiful feet because their feet carry the message that captivity is ending. Who announces peace? What's the peace? That they will not be at war or in strife with the Babylonians anymore, that they will get to go home. And brings good news of happiness. What's the happiness? The happiness is that they won't be in captivity any longer. Who announces salvation? What's the salvation? That they are being saved from being in captivity for 70 years. Just imagine 70 years, generation after generation after generation, 
not being able to be in your own land that God provided to you because you had abandoned him and his purposes. And he says to Zion, or he says to Israel, your God reigns. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all of the nations that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of God. Did you hear that? That all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of God. It was never about one people group. It was never about one nation. God chose them to reach all the nations and they failed in doing so. So he brought some consequences, and that is the background that you need as we get into Romans 10 today. Now, Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, and he wrote it not knowing the Romans, actually. He had never been there, but he writes the Roman church. Now, the Roman church would have been made up of Christians, all right, of two sorts, Jews who had become Christians and Gentiles or Greeks that would have become Christian. Now, To say Greek or Gentile, all that means is non-Jews. In the Jews' mind, they think of two people on earth, us and everybody else, all right? And so when Paul is writing to the Romans, he wants them to know that Jewishness or non-Jewishness doesn't matter when it comes to salvation. And that's what he's going to get to in chapter 10. Uh, But in chapter 9 what we see is that Paul talks about God's part in salvation, God's sovereignty in salvation, that God is in control of everything. We already know that, but also everything as it pertains to salvation. He saves who he will save. That means that he is a God that is in total control. And that's a hard chapter to read, but it's coupled with chapter 10 which is the chapter that we're gonna be in today. And in chapter 10, he brings something right alongside the sovereignty of God in salvation. And he says, yes, God is in control from start to finish in everything that has to do in salvation and humans have responsibility as well. That sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? It is. But it is possible with God that he is in control of everything and yet, gives all of us, mankind, responsibility to respond to him. And it's a beautiful chapter, uh, chapter 10. And as I was thinking about this sermon and I was reading through this text, I was thinking about you, all the people that would come through the doors of FBC Las Cruces today. And I was wondering, I wonder if they know the main teaching of this passage. I wonder if they know it because I had heard it And I knew these verses and I knew what they taught, but I had never heard it kind of exactly like I'm going to say it today. So I want you to really see the main thrust of this passage that we're going to look at today. And it's that anyone that wants to be saved can be saved. If that isn't good news, I don't know what is. Anyone who wants to be saved can be saved. That word anyone just means anyone. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your sins in the past. It doesn't matter which country you're from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter all of the things that you've ever done. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. 
Now, the temptation is going to be to think that that's actually not true. I think Satan likes to start messing with our minds and say, you know what? No, that's not true. Anybody can't be saved if they want to be saved. That is false. Anyone can. And so as we go through this message, if you're thinking, I don't know about this guy that I know or this person that I know, I don't know if they can be saved. No, anyone can be saved if they want to be saved. I want you to remember, I know like we don't ask you uh, to remember every slide that we put up here. I want you to remember that one for the rest of your life because it's so central to scripture. And it speaks so much to who God is. Anyone can be saved who wants to be saved. So Paul is gonna get into salvation with the Romans. And we're gonna, we just kind of get to be flies on the wall of what Paul has to say to them. And we can apply these things to our lives as well. So he's gonna start talking to them about salvation. And what he's going to say is that when it comes to salvation, there's a level playing field. That's the first thing that he wants the Roman church to know, which is made up of Jews who are, who are believers and followers of Jesus and also non-Jews, all right? He says, listen, when it comes to salvation, there's a level playing field. Let's go to Romans 10, 12. He says, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, all right? We might use the word difference. There's no difference between Jews and non-Jews. Now, don't forget that if a Jew picked this up that was not following Christ, and probably some that were following Christ, they would think, well, that's not exactly true. If a Jew heard that that wasn't a follower of Christ, they would want to kill Paul for what he just said because their whole history, they thought, no, we are the children of God and we have a leg up on everybody else because we're better than everybody else, and Paul sets it straight. No, he's like, no, there's, there's no difference. There's no difference if you're Jewish or non-Jewish. There is no difference. Why? Because the same Lord is Lord of all. God is God of those who are Jewish or non-Jewish. And he will bestow his riches on all who call upon him, the riches of his kindness, the riches of his love, of his grace. That is who God is. But there's now a level playing field. Remember the Jews thought that they were the chosen people of God. And for that reason, they had more of a right to be with God than everybody else. And I'm guessing that that idea was still in the Jewish minds of the Christians who were, who were also Jews in that time. They thought, you know, we're still a little better than everybody else. So what is it that makes this playing field level? Well, one, that God is Lord of everyone, not just of some. And two, that Jews and non-Jews, people who have descended from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the Jews, they're all sinners. And all the non-Jews, guess what? They're sinners. That's why the playing field is leveled. That's why nobody has a leg up on anyone else. There's no difference. And then Paul continues, and he continues in the next verses, and he says, all right, when it comes to salvation, there's also a history. And I love this verse, and you probably know this verse, but Paul is saying, listen, there's, there's no difference 
between you and them. And that's okay because do you know why? Because there's a history of how God saves people. And what he does in this history makes a huge difference. Let's look at verse 13. This is what he says. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I love how he just states it as a quick fact. He's like, well, I just told you that there's no difference and that basically everybody is sinners, that God is, is God of everyone because you know everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's who God is. That's what he does. And in saying this, he's not only pointing to the present in which he's writing this to the Romans. He's also looking back in history and he's thinking, you know what? Everyone that's called upon the name of the Lord has been saved. And so he knows that in this moment, when he was writing, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord now will be saved. And he knows that God is an unchanging God. And into the future, he knows that if anyone calls upon the name of the Lord, listen, they will be saved. Now, that word everyone in Greek translates to the word everyone in English. It means everyone. It means every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord, every last one of them, not everyone minus one, not most, not some, but every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So what does it mean then to call upon the name of the Lord? Well, there's a lot of different senses in which you could call upon the name of the Lord. My wife would say that I called upon the name of the Lord about a week and a half ago in a rather strange way. And I was wishing that she was asleep when this happened, but she was wide awake and she was listening to everything that was going on. And here's what happened. When I was practicing this sermon, every time I said, hey Siri, my phone would listen to me and I'd have to stop my sermon and I have to go back. So here's what happens when I go to sleep. I can last for about 21 minutes after I lay down these days, and that's when I have to cut it off. So if we're in the middle of a show, I'm like, I'm toast. I'm rolling over onto my stomach. I'm going to sleep. And every single night, I, tell, I talk to my phone. And I say, hey, Siri, wake me up at 4.30. And Siri says, your alarm is set for 4.30. And I'm like, okay, great. And I go to sleep. Well, this night. That's what I wanted to say. And I had gone to sleep while we were watching our show. Leanne is wide awake. She's right next to me. I am out, but I wake up for one second. I think, oh, I need to set my alarm so I can get to the gym in the morning. And so I say, I'm just like, just woken up. And I'm like, dear Lord, would you please set my alarm for four? (laughs) And my wife, I'm not When I say that she laughed for 10 minutes straight, she woke me up so much that I could not go back to sleep. She thought it was the most hilarious thing in the world. That is not the kind of calling upon the name of the Lord that Paul is talking about. It's not like when you lose your dog either. It's not like when you lose your dog and you you call out your dog's name, Fido or whatever it is, and you're calling out for the sake of your dog because they're lost and you want to get them home. That's not what calling upon the name of the Lord is either. It's not just to like, hey, God, that's not calling upon the name of the Lord either. So what I wanna do is I wanna look at that word call because that word call is really important in this verse. That word call 
means this. It means the word is epikaleomai, all right? The word call is kaleo, but with all of those other things that were added to that word, it's actually in the middle voice. I know, you're like, oh, the middle voice, that really blesses us. Thank you for telling that. Uh, here, here's, here's, here's the thing about the middle voice. The middle voice isn't just an action that you do. It's an action that you do that returns to you. All right? In Spanish, they call it the reflexive. When you look in a mirror, it's not ver, to see. It's verse. It comes back to you. When you look in a mirror, I see myself. Does that make sense? Same thing in Greek with the middle voice. So that word, when it says call, it doesn't mean just call out to God. It doesn't, it doesn't even mean, God, I'm in a hard spot. I hope you help me. It means, God, I'm calling out to you because I need you. I'm calling out for my own sake because I need you to save me. I can't do it by myself. I have to have you work in my life in this way. And that is what it means to call on the name of the Lord. It sounds so simple. So your question is probably, if it's that simple, and every single person who does that will be saved, then why isn't that happening more? And Paul anticipated your question, so I'm glad that you asked it. What he says is, how can they? Yeah, everyone needs to call upon the name of the Lord, but how can they? And so the next thing that he says is when it comes to salvation, there's a process. There's a process in salvation because he knows that there's a process. And what he's going to do in this process, he's going to take, take it at the very end of the process and he's going to work his way backwards so that everyone in the Roman church can understand exactly what it takes for someone to call upon the name of the Lord so that God will save them. Let's go to the next verse. This is what Paul says. Well, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? That word believe is the verbal form of the word faith. It means trust. It means confidence in. It means to bank on. How then are they going to call on God or Christ in whom they have not believed? That would be pretty hard to call on someone that you don't believe in, that you don't have trust in, that you don't have confidence in. And I want you to, to remember that this process ends with this person being saved by God. And then it talks about that person, the person that needs to call upon the name of the Lord. But that's going to change here in a little bit. And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? Well, how could they believe in someone and trust in someone and have confidence in that person so that they could call upon him if they haven't even heard about him? And so Paul says, I mean, basically, well, they can't. They can't call on him who they have not believed. They can't believe in him who they have not heard. And then he brings in somebody else into the equation. Then he says, and how are they to hear without someone else preaching to them? That word preach, and we'll see it again in uh, verse 15 right there. That word preach is the word keruso in Greek. It means to proclaim it means to announce. It means to tell. That's what it means to preach. You don't have to say preach so that it sounds weird. You could just say talk or tell or proclaim to someone the news, the good news. 
how can they hear without someone preaching? So now we have another person entering the, the equation, the one who is supposed to preach to that person. And then he goes to verse 15, and he says, how are they to preach? How are those people who are supposed to preach so those people could hear, how can they preach unless they're sent? And so it leaves all of us thinking, well, has anyone been sent? And the answer to that is absolutely. Jesus Christ sent all of his disciples, the ones that were with him and the ones who would believe in him in the future. He has sent all of his disciples into the world. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Go, in, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded to you. And I will be with you always. Jesus has sent. How many of you guys like to play Uno. Don't you love when somebody like puts a reverse card on, on the deck and you're like, no, but you have a reverse card too. And you're like, take that double reverse goes back to you again. That's exactly what I'm going to do with Paul here. Paul wanted to reverse that entire sequence of events so that we could see that it culminates with God saving people. And it starts with Jesus sending people, but he's worked through it backwards. He played a reverse card. I'm now going to play my reverse card and reverse that so that we can see the process from beginning to end. Here, here it is. It's so simple. Jesus Christ sends out his followers to preach the good news in the world, the good news of salvation that Jesus died for their sins and they don't have to live apart from him. And those people hear that message that was preached to them. And when they hear that message that was preached to them, they will believe that message. And then when they believe that message, they will call upon the name of the Lord. And when they call upon the name of the Lord, every one of them will be saved. Now, does this chapter teach that everyone will be saved? No. It teaches that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the process worked through from beginning to end. But Paul also knows that when it comes to salvation, there's a precedent for sharing the good news. This is the last verse that we're going to be in. It should ring a bell. As it is written, Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Remember that from that passage in Isaiah when I started off talking? Why would Paul use that here and quote Isaiah from a long, long time ago. Here it is. Because the situation that Paul is addressing right here was very similar to the situation that happened with Isaiah and all of the Israelites when they were taken captive to Babylon. And at the end of that captivity in Babylon, Isaiah says, how beautiful are the feet are the people who are announcing to us that captivity is over. The 70 years has ended. And Paul says, listen, that situation is so similar because everyone is in captivity to sin. And beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news to pronounce an end to the captivity to sin to pronounce that it is never going to happen again. And this isn't just a 70-year captivity to sin. For some people, it lasts their entire life if they don't call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And if it lasts their entire life and they haven't called upon the name of the Lord to save them 
At the end of their life, when they pass away, they will be separated from him for an eternity, in captivity for eternity. But the ones who Jesus has sent to proclaim the good news, they carry the good news that captivity has an end. That if they would call upon the name of the Lord, they would be saved. So don't let history repeat itself. Don't think that because you come to church, you're the chosen people of God and you're better than everybody else out there. So you will just sit here or sit in your house and you won't worry about the nations. Listen, you are the chosen people of God because you're, you've placed your faith in him. You are the chosen people of God, but you've been chosen for a reason and it's not to sit on your butts. You've been chosen to reach the nations. Don't make the same mistake that the Israelites made. That was a bad one. They suffered grave consequences for it. Don't be like them and don't abandon the Lord. You take the good news that Jesus has commissioned you to take and you take it to the ends of the earth. I know there's people in here that haven't called upon the name of the Lord yet. My question is why? Why haven't you called upon the name of the Lord? Because everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's you, if you're thinking, I've, I've never, I've never done that. Make today that day. I also know that there's other people in here who have called upon the name of the Lord, which means you are, everyone in this room is somewhere in this process. If you have already called upon the name of the Lord, Here's what I want to tell you. Carry the good news. Carry it with you wherever you go. Talk about Jesus. Proclaim Jesus. Tell people about Jesus so that they can hear, so that they can believe. So when they believe, they can call upon the name of the Lord so that when they call upon the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. Because anyone who wants to be saved can be saved. Yes, God is sovereign in all of salvation. And each one of us has personal responsibility to respond to him. Obviously, I don't know your past and everything that you're going through right now and everything that you will go through, but I know those two things, that you need to call upon the name of the Lord. And if you haven't, you need to do it. And if you have, you need to carry the message so that other people can. Maybe you need to pray with someone up here. We'll have our ministers up here in a moment. If you want to join a church that believes the gospel and believes that anyone who wants to be saved can be saved, then you can come forward and you can tell us you want to join the church. Maybe God has just reached you in some other way today. You need to respond to him. You can use the time when this music is playing and the band is up here to do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Dear God, we, we love you so much. Your gospel is amazing. We thank you for being a God who saves. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for Paul's letter to the Romans. God, help us think of some of the people in our lives that we would love for them to call upon your name so that they will be saved. And God, we know that anyone that we think of can be saved if they want to be 
saved. Will you help us understand that and live that in our lives? Help us respond also to your word today in Jesus' name.